0: listening to Youth Ministry Maverick, a podcast about mold-breaking methods to invest in the next generation of the church. Here's your host, Jeff Harding.
1: Hello, hello, everybody. This is Jeff. Welcome back to Youth Ministry Maverick. You're listening to episode 50, Stewarding the Next Generation. Well, it was great to have our Enneagram series. And this is the first episode back in our normal format with a guest, and we talk about a certain topic that we think will be good to highlight for youth workers investing in the next generation. So for today's episode, we are talking about investment in a way that we haven't before. We are talking about finances. How do we help our teenagers, especially as they graduate, learn to become good stewards, with what God has blessed them with, with what they have earned and how to plan out the practical elements of their life with their finances. To help me talk about that is our guest today and my friend, Hannah Moore. Hannah is the owner of Guiding Wealth. Uh, She is a certified financial planner and a certified financial transitions expert. She has won multiple awards, Including from Financial Advisor Magazine. She has been named one of the top financial advisors from D Magazine here in Dallas multiple times. She is also the recipient of the Financial Planning's Inaugural Visionary Leader Award. She loves helping people think about and have good, practical conversations about money. And she is also one of my high school leaders. She has been for a while. So, Hannah and I talk about what it means to help parents and help students think about being a good steward, and even why it should be an important conversation that we have in every youth ministry. So let's go ahead and hop into this conversation with Hannah. All right, Hannah, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's good to have you. Um, so let's jump right in uh, to this idea of stewarding the next generation and helping them make their way through this financial landscape. So youth workers like you and me, uh, we provide spiritual guidance for students to build and grow them in their faith. As I talked about in our three-week series in January on connecting with parents, we should really be helping parents by partnering with them in any way that we can. Financial decisions tend to produce a lot of stress in one's life. And aside from Warning students about being driven by greed. We, we typically don't talk about financial topics in youth ministry, but it's a big thing for parents to deal with, especially when the college letters start coming in the mail. So Hannah, my first question is, what is it like for students and parents navigating that discussion of college transition and all the dollar signs involved with that?
0: Yes, well, thank, first of all, thank you, Jeff, for having me on. It's so great to be talking to your listeners, um, talking to everyone who's listening right now. So there is a lot going on when we start talking about what's going on with you know the college piece specifically. But one of the things that really stood out to me as you were just talking is that you know as youth workers you're providing the spiritual guidance, um, and I would really you know this idea of finances are part of that, right? You know we look even in in scripture, money is talked about so much your heart towards money. All of that is very much a spiritual um, aspect. that, And we can certainly talk about more. Um, But to answer your specific question, we're like, what is it like for students and parents navigating college? Um, It is incredibly overwhelming. Uh, You know, it is, you know, from a student's perspective, they're used to budgeting, you know, the $100 that they make at their job afterwards and they're, you know, budgeting their gas money and movie tickets or I guess before that was before the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, their Amazon purchases. Yeah, there uh, you go but you know, that's what they're used to budgeting. And now we're expecting them to make a decision. They're going from making a hundred dollar decisions or budgeting a hundred dollars to where we're asking them to make decisions that are 20 to $50,000 every single year. They have Mm -hmm. no context. They have no framework. It is a, you know, as a society, that is such an unrealistic expectation that we put on these, on these students. And so it can be very overwhelming. It can be very, um, they just, they they don't know how to, they're just operating in a whole different space. Um, and so oftentimes, you know, they're, they're relying on things that they've heard of, I need to go to college or debt is bad. I shouldn't have any college debt or, you know, whatever that may be versus really being grounded in a framework for how to make those decisions. So from a student's perspective, and I know I've been talking to a number of students about this recently, they just don't know. They don't know how to evaluate the college decisions. They don't know how to evaluate the college aid, you know, factors. Um, There's just a lot that goes into that. And I know we're going to talk more about that in a minute, but let me talk about the parent side of it. Parents are overwhelmed too. (laughs) You know, I work with a lot of uh, parents who, who are trying to do college planning for their kids and they don't know either, you know, the landscape has changed dramatically. Um, You know, from when, you know, if if a parent went to college uh, has changed dramatically from when they went to school and what paying for school looks like, or if they never went to college, this is a whole new landscape for them as well. And so the students are looking to them to have answers, but parents don't have the answers. And I find it doesn't matter. Um, socioeconomic class it doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter if you've had a college degree or not. Parents are overwhelmed with this decision too, and they don't know how to provide guidance, but more than anything, they want their students or they want their children to make the right decision. And so there is so much pressure on the parents and there is so much pressure on these students, uh, because they're, they're trying to make the right decision for themselves and they're comparing themselves with their peers and they don't know, um, they, they just don't know where they stand on it. So it's an incredibly overwhelming experience for everybody involved.
1: Yeah, uh, I would definitely agree with that. And the more I engage with youth workers online or people that I've known uh, around the city or on the state or on the country who are in youth ministry, we're always asking the question, what does it look like for us to get involved and walk alongside students in life? And especially the proper approach of You know, Deuteronomy 6, where it's the parents we should be equipping because they spend the most time with their students. So, how can we help them? Because they are around Mm -hmm. our students, obviously, so much more and will continue to be in a closer aspect after those students graduate. So, what are the areas that we can do? And I feel like, rightly so, a lot of that has focused on trauma. How can we help students walk through trauma, which is a huge area, especially for this generation, their anxiety and depression, right? But Things that also cause anxiety and depression along with that, along with obviously technology, is finances. and that's something that's always caused everyone stress and anxiety, um, not just teenagers, but adults. Um, you could be 30, you could be 80, right? and you're going to have that in your life. Finances, you know, you have people with financial ministries and everything everything. Like that, but I feel like with teenagers especially, and with college students and parents, and helping them transition into that, this is an untouched area. And so I feel like this is a good conversation to have with parents and with students, and to be able to even help develop custom resources for them that they will use and not just do for three or four weeks in a in a series or watch some videos and then put it on a shelf and forget about it. Right? Something that they can actually access and they want to repeat and build on with other kids that they have who come up to that college age. And then when they're talking with other parents, they can say, Oh, have you tried this? We took this approach and it helped out Billy or Jane, you know, a lot. And so uh, how can we help you as your kids do that? And it kind of creates a culture change um, and a healthy one at that. Um, And I love that you mentioned how, finances and being a good steward is very much a part of spiritual development we see it in scripture we have churches talking about tithing and so this is a very needed conversation especially with students
0: and you know, what's so interesting in your role as a youth worker, you're in a precarious position, right? Because not everybody has the same resources, right? Um, so when you look at, I mean, when you go across to different youth groups, I mean, there are going to be some parents and, and I see with my clients um, and the, and the people that I talk with and help guide through this process, some people are like. I'm going to pay for hundred percent of my college, my student's tuition or my, you know, my child's tuition. And other people are like, we have no money to contribute towards this. Mm -hmm. And so it's a very interesting um, kind of position that you're in of providing guidance to this. When the family dynamics are so varied Um, it could be a grandparent is paying, you know, for part of their, their tuition and, and all of those factors factor into their decision. And how do you provide, you know, guidance, uh, one of the things that we always go back to—I love this quote—that um, clarity is kindness—and—and <laughs> um, and so you know when I think about how do you help um, this range of students not knowing that they're not all in the same spot, they're not—they're all going to be in very different situations. Every family's in a different situation, sibling dynamic, and sibling dynamics. There's just so much that goes into the fi- personal finance is very personal. Yeah. Um, I, I I'll tell you that right now. Um, but one of the things is having the students, helping them to have a conversation or encouraging the conversation with their parents about are their parents wanting to contribute to their college or post-high school careers? Um, What does that look like? And oftentimes I find that, that, okay, when people come into my office, they often don't know, right? Mm-hmm. They're often just kind of overwhelmed at that. But encouraging that conversation is can be really powerful. So a student needs to know when I'm looking at my financial aid options or as I'm applying to schools, am I responsible for 100% of this? Are my parents going to be helping? And just knowing that answer, and there's not a right or wrong answer with it, right? Um, it, there's That's that's one of the things is that that's very neutral. Um, but knowing that is gonna be able to help the student kind of start making some decisions on, on that process. Um, or if a parent is willing to start paying for some of that, what is it that they, how much do they wanna pay for it? What does that look like? Um, how do we have those conversations? A lot of time is spent in my office with parents talking about this, talking about how to frame it out with their students, if they are helping pay for it, um, different things like that. So um, I think when I think about youth workers, it's not so much, here's the answer. It's how do we encourage those conversations um, and not building them around shame? I mean, some people
1: are
0: very, you know, some parents feel like failures because they're Mm -hmm. not able to contribute to their, you know, you know, there's, there's kids' tuition.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, other parents have all the means in the world, but they're like, "I had to pay for school, and I'm going to make them pay for school." Um, you know, and I see other people who can't afford to pay for their, you know, child's tuition, and 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 they do um, to their the, the you know. Hurting their own financial position, and so, you know, the ranges of this are just there's so much dynamics on it. There's no, you know, we want to pull that shame out of it, um, but we do need to have these clear conversations because if I know that my parents are going to pay for half of my tuition, that changes that changes my decision making, changes my decision filter, if you will, on on colleges.
1: Yeah, I like that approach of a, a filter, and um, I think that approach you, you just described really uh, lines up with. Uh, my ministry approach, and really how we even talk to students, is it's not so much just settling for answers, but learning how to hat, learning how to ask better questions, and to have those conversations that lead to being able to talk about those answers, um, and and methods. Because as varied as the approaches are, and feelings are, and finances. So are the answers, right? And there's not a, everyone has to do this one thing and then this will solve everything, right? You hear that from TV salesmen, you hear that from people trying to sell products and the one size fits all approach rarely works and it certainly does not work with finances. And so it's good for us to be able to say, tell me what you need, tell me what your sources of income are, right? That's what you do as a financial planner. That's what we do when we talk to students about, you know, How'd you learn about Jesus? See, like, like what, what do you know about your faith and how'd you learn about it? And why do you believe what you believe, right? Why do you spend your money the way you spend your money? And it's good for parents to be able to talk about that with students and not make it a taboo subject or one that's filled with shame. Like, well, there's the expectation that my parents are just going to pay for it because we have the means or I have to work it out and find scholarships or work my way through college and pay for it myself, right? We have to take away that shame element. And I like that yeah. you... Um, highlight that with parents that you are that you already talked to, because that is a very helpful thing, and it takes the burden off not only parents but the students who I feel like might have more of that burden if their parents are already sharing it.
0: Yeah, you know um, it's interesting with finances and and shame it's it's so tied together. Uh, but I always say you know finances are, it's the easiest measuring stick. Hmm. Right. Like good or bad. We know at the end of the day, you hit age, you know, 65, you know exactly how much money you have. Yeah. Um, you know, and the same thing with these college funds, it's it's such an easy measuring stick, um, which is why I think it's so easy to fall into some of these shame traps and mm-hmm. some of these some of these um unhealthy patterns.
1: Yeah. So with those uh approaches, right, we we tend to approach everything in our life with some sort of bias. Now, when people hear the word bias, they might associate it with terms like devious, extremely slanted, and perhaps even vengeful. Um, but to buck against the current trend of taking a term or a concept and immediately running as fast as we can to one extreme or another, like our polarized culture, um, we need to take a second to realize that we all have our own perspectives that line up with other people, but they aren't totally identical with anyone else. That's not a bad thing. I think it's evidence of how God uniquely created each of us. However, it does mean that making big decisions about issues everyone acknowledges as important, like finances, requires listening and thinking about the perspectives other people have. So Hannah, regarding finances specifically, why is it important for us to recognize our bias and seek a more holistic approach to gathering info and making it decisions. I mean, it's our personal finances. So wouldn't we know how to handle them better than anyone else?
0: <laughs> oh my gosh, I love that last part. What do we know how to handle it and and we're in like financial crisis after financial crisis yeah. in this country. We're yeah. not trained on how to handle finances. Like that's mm. just the reality of our world. I find I mean, I work I work with a complete You know, across the gamut of people who are extremely successful um, to people who have don't have very much money, and I'll tell you, even people who are wildly successful with their finances, they they still don't know. Um, So I think I think there is just this assumption that oh, we should know what to do with our money, and that just I haven't found to be true (laughs) when I'm working with people. Um, You know, so it's interesting this idea of bias, and especially working with. you know, and my role as a financial planner and working with clients, or, you know, as a youth worker working with students, you know, we really recognize this idea of. Of what is my bias? So for me personally, I'm naturally biased because I got a four year degree. Um, I got a four year degree from a private university. I was able to get a job straight out of school in my field, um, and that has that is a positive investment for me. Um, and so when I look at you know when I'm talking to a student, what is the best option? Right. Well, I'm naturally going to be gravitating to four-year degree going and getting your job out of school. And mm-hmm. because that's what has been true for me. Right. Mm-hmm. And those are all true statements. If you go to a four-year degree school, like that, that yes, that, that is a possible outcome for you. Um, and so I think, I think what's, um, you know, but what's important is that's my story. And this isn't, you know, when we're working with, with students, when I'm working with clients, it's not about putting my story on them um, because that's never going to go well, right? They need to have their own story. And so there are facts that are out there, right? Like we know factually that on average, college graduates who work full time make about $25,000 more a year. That is a fact, right? Um, but does that mean, you know, so so that, or then the high school graduates, but does that mean that every student should go to a four-year, de- you know, get a college degree? No, not at all. And um, there's a lot of different options out there for that. Um, and so, just as my bias is to have is that four-year degree, I've also heard other people who've worked in, you know, with with advising students who are in high school um, to go to college that that going to a college doesn't make any sense. Um, that they're going to be putting themselves behind for the rest of their lives because they're going to be getting into all these student loans and they're going to be getting themselves in so much trouble, and they're going to be, you know, they're going to be living back with their parents because they're not going to be able to find a job. Um, I mean, there have been people who I've talked to, students who I've talked to, where that has been actively the message that they've been hearing is that going to a four-year degree is dumb. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to go to a community college first. You need to do this. You need to get into the trades. You need to do all these different things, and and you know it's we recognize that our bias plays into this right and so how do we how do we pull our bias out of it you know and it's really recognizing that my story isn't their story and so really what we want to be teaching students is how to think and to your point that you just said how do we think better about our financial decisions so we know college freshmen by the time they graduate 80% of them are going to change their major hmm. and so that's a huge consideration right so when we look at the amount of student loan debt that you take from a college standpoint $100,000 for a teacher that's that's a steep hill $100,000 for a highly trained surgeon that's not as big of a deal um, you know but when we start but if we can start teaching students to be thinking about more of the how to think about these decisions. Um, we're going to be in such a better position. Um, and so it's more of helping them create that decision filter and helping them think through those decisions for themselves and recognizing this because we know we all know life changes, um, but their life is going to dramatically change most likely over the next four years. And we're not going to always be there. Like we're not going to be there and they're going to be away. Um, and they're going to have to make decisions. They're going to have to make, you know, and, and Yes, we want to be helping them, but we, most importantly, we want to give them a framework for helping make those decisions. We want to be showing them ways of thinking um, that they can fall back to, versus being like, you know, do you want to go to trade school or or whatever it may be, whatever the post high school options are. Um, but I'm always very conscious of recognizing my bias um, right. and and trying to make this about the students because that's where the better decisions are going to happen um, and they're going to be successful if they follow what's what's the right choice for them.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. And I love that you bring up those specific examples. And I know people who with both of those sides with you need a four-year degree, preferably from a private university or you should go the community college route. Like I have people popping up in my mind as you're talking about that, who I know, like, here's what they're telling their, their kids. Or when I have kids, this is what I'm going to tell them. Right. Um, and that starts when they're younger. Like we're going to homeschool all the way. No, it's going to be a private school all the way. No, I did public school, so it's going to be public school all the way from for my kids too. And um, and as I mentioned in, in in the setup of that of that question and topic, you know, bias on its own is not necessarily bad, but I think what tends to drive our bias in an unhealthy direction is fear, mm-hmm. um, and we yeah. are afraid that if. They don't follow our advice, no matter how biased or slanted it might be. It has good intentions around it, right? And so we're worried if they don't follow that direction and what we think should happen, and our expectations of what they should do, then they will fail, and they will fail in a way that they cannot recover from. And that isn't yeah. that isn't really realistic. It's also um, dramatic, and of course, there are always there are always exceptions. And some failures can be very catastrophic and some failures can really hurt. But for the most part, um, it's just they need to learn how to fail well. They need to learn how they can help themselves by leaning on others, by having people around them to encourage them. And the pulling yourself up by the bootstraps um, in some regards is good to have that drive. But I feel like as independent Americans, we like to... Preach that, and that's how you do everything. when really, especially in the context of being a believer, dependence is the goal. It's not the mm-hmm. enemy. And so we need to be able to learn from people who have experience, who have expertise, who say, what are the right questions to be asking? Um, where are the right resources to draw from to be able to help me make these decisions? not just always lean on my parents for for these decisions, or always lean on the experts, but also learn how to think about those things and decide, This is what I have and this is what's best for me. And so I'm going to go in that direction, right? So we need to realize that as much as we might think our good intentions and our experience is helping, fear is always going to be a factor. And we need to be aware of that as much as our own bias.
0: Oh, completely agree, and that fear is such. And my gosh, in finances, I mean, I see that all the time because finances threaten your security. They mm-hmm. they threaten your safety, right? Are you gonna have a place to live? I mean, like that's that's really you know when we start talking about money, like that's the power of of money in people's lives. And you know, as you were talking and talking about fear being the driver, I'll tell you a lot of the narrative for me growing up was that debt was bad. Mm-hmm. And, and you know what, like, there's a lot of wisdom to that. So I don't want to discredit that. But at the same time, when we start looking at, um, we start looking at colleges, it's so much more nuanced than than that. You know, again, I, I made the, you know, it's about $25,000 more that a, you know, a college graduate will make than a, than a high school graduate will make. And I mean, it doesn't take many years to make up, you know, if you had $30,000 in student loans, there's a break-even point to that, and you're still really young at that break-even point, um, you know. And it, it's interesting. Um, I was talking to a college professor recently, and he was talking about one of his struggles with his students. And he he teaches at a um, a state school. That you know, it's relative. I mean, it's still expensive, but I mean, all college is expensive. Let's be yeah. real. Mm-hmm. Uh, But it's you know, on the scale, it's on the, the lower you know, in state school or whatever and he was talking about his one of the things that he's worried about is he has a number of students who are working and this was my story i was working 40 hours while going to school full time because you you had to pay your bills and tuition was a bill and you know that, that was just the debt was bad um was kind of the narrative i grew up with and so anyway he was talking to me about it and he was like i have students Who are doing that, who are working 20, 30, 40, 50 hours a week, and their grades are suffering. And he's like, it's so frustrating for me to see this as a professor because they're not getting involved in the university aspects. They're not getting involved in all these different ways. Their grades are suffering. So the job that they're going to get straight out of college isn't going to be the highest paying job you know, it's going to be a mid-tier, or lower-tier job because they have a lower GPA. They don't have the resume that their peers have. And it was just an interesting way of thinking through this where I was like, I never thought that way when I was going through school. I never thought of, you know, maybe it was worth it for me to – Pull back a little bit on some of those working, maybe take out some student loans, you know, and not being crazy again wisdom we want to be really, really wise on this, Um, but we don't often think about the human capital, how much money, you know, what is our income potential, Um, that is part of the equation that we often don't look at. And again, it's so rooted in fear because if you have debt and so many times these are the stories, right? These are the stories that youth workers carry that parents carry of, I was paying off my credit card for 10 years. I mean, Mm -hmm. I hear those stories all the time in my office. Um, I, you know, I got stuck with student loans. You know, it's a massive amount of millennials right now. Um, I think millennials... (laughs) Gen Z is just coming up out of school now, but um, so many millennials are struggling with student loan debt. It, and so there's so much fear of, I don't want to be like them. I don't want to be like this story or that story. Instead of just being like, you know, what, what is wisdom in their situation? Um, and, and just look in a lot of different ways.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think the way we plan and live our lives can be nearly summed up in these two terms choices and expectations, right? We've yes. talked about expectations with bias or this is the way that I did it. And so this is the way that they're going to do it. And I want, I want my kids to make right choices, right? That's what every parent says all the time. Yeah, you know, I want them to make right choices. But the way we set them up to learn how to do that, to gain discernment, to make that, not just to check a box and say, I did the right thing, but to learn how to get to the point where they can check that box, right? um and uh so those two things choices and expectations and we've been talking about helping students through the monumental transition of life outside their parents home uh yeah. from graduating high school and going out on your own whether it's the work field or whether it's school um so how can parents set good examples of choices and expectations for their students uh, beyond the baseline goals of studying hard and getting a good job, right? Especially when it comes to finances, how can they set good examples for their students as they transition?
0: You know, so I have a couple different answers for for this. Um, so one, um, so one of the things that I do in my office when when clients come in is I ask people about their money values. What are your money values? What is it that you really want to be teaching to your children? And and oftentimes, I'll, so I'll ask, I'll ask people, "What did your parents teach you?" So that's a really good way to kind of start that conversation. Think about when you grew up. What are those money values that your parents taught you? Um, looking at both spouses, and or if, if there is um, there's two spouses in the in the picture, mm-hmm. and then um, looking at okay, so what are the money values that I have now? How is this different? Um, because oftentimes they are. Um, not all the time, but often there are, there are similarities, but there are differences. And then be thinking through, you know, it, how what are the money values that you want your, your students to leave your home with? Um, if they're to go out into the world, what are those? And so getting clear about what that is, I think helps. Um, and, and it's really just kind of an awareness piece of that. It's just really what it, it'll help you kind of focus, you know, what are those conversations that we want to have? So like, let's say that, if you're a parent and you have saved money for your your child's tuition and you are you want to teach them the value of saving and investing, it's a great time to be able to share that money value. Um, you know, if you're, you know, if it's, you know, we provide for our family. I mean, that's a great, great value as well. And so there's lots of different ways to kind of frame this out. But thinking through and bringing that awareness back to what are our money values is really going to help. Um with that, but when we start talking about specific expectations, <laughs> this is where it gets interesting uh, because oftentimes, I know I've asked a number of students who um, that that I work with or that I know. I ask them, you know, they're talking about what do they want to do when they graduate? Like what what are the different jobs? And I ask them, do you know how much money that makes? They have no idea. They have no idea how much money that makes. So if I have two doctors who are, you know, they they have a certain lifestyle because they're they just they just do. They doctors tend to make you know more money. Let's say teachers. Um and two working parents versus one working parent, you know, there's there's so many dynamics that play into this. But if I have two doctor clients, who have, you know, and their their child wants to go be um, a social worker or a teacher or whatever that may be that's at a significantly lower income level, there is this expectation that I find that students expect, often expect to live the lifestyle of their parents. Um, and, and is that true or not, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think one of the, I encourage almost all of my clients to do this with their kids. Um, a lot of them don't. So I know this is part of it, but share your budget. Show them. Show them. This is how much money I make. These are expenses. Um, Let them see that, Um, and then as they're making decisions about where they're going to go to school, what are their job prospects look like after school? They can see. Oh, okay. So if I, they can start making some of those connections and see, like, oh, if I have this degree, if I go into this field, you know. That has an impact on income. And granted, there's always ways to make more money. There's always outliers in all of these situations, but in general, Um, but it helps students kind of frame out those expectations for themselves. You know, when I've talked to people about some of their biggest learning moments, um, I was talking to one guy recently, he had a high school teacher who did it. And he put up on the board, he, this high school teacher, like, completely unrelated to the subject, was like, okay, guys, for this class period, I'm going to be sharing with you exactly like the most important this might be the most important class period that you guys have. And so he walked them through his budget. He walked them through how much money does he make? He put it on the board. And the person who was telling me could tell me all about the details of it. And he was like, I thought it was so much money at the beginning. And then I realized that there was hardly anything left at the end. And it gave him the expectation that, you know, even with this higher paycheck or, you know, even with a teacher's salary, that seemed like so much money every month that like giving them that realistic expectation um, is is really, really powerful. Um, And it really kind of helps start framing things out, letting them know that, you know, if you're two doctors and you're going to go be a social worker in general, you're probably not going to have as big of a home you you know, and that has nothing to do on the quality of your life. Right. right. So I, I, I never want, I, uh, I have such a strong aversion to ever being like more money equals better because that's just not true.
1: Right. Yes. Um, yes.
0: And, and so, but it is this expectation of if you want to have a 5,000 square foot home, and you're going to work to be a social worker, or going to school to be a social worker. That there is a discrepancy in that, and that's perfectly acceptable. But just knowing that and understanding that, and helping think through again, it's some of that decision framework that we talk about uh, with helping our kids or helping the students really think through, think through some of this. But one of the most powerful ways is just showing your students. You know what. March, you know, last month, whatever, whatever month it might be last month, let me just show you our budget. um, And then show them the, what they're looking at for career options. And this is what your, this is what your income would be on this. um, And this is what we need to change. This is how your budget would look differently than mine um, when you're in your twenties or whatever it may be yeah the other the other piece is share your story with your mm. students, right? So oftentimes, um, I was just talking to somebody recently that made me think of this. but you know we look at, you know when you're 50 years old, your life looks so much different than it does when it's 22 or 25, um, even from a financial standpoint. So oftentimes there's this expectation um, uh, and I know I've experienced this personally where I'm expecting myself to live like what I see. Right, um, I'm expecting myself to have an established career in life and all of these things. Uh, when it just for many people, it's just not the reality of it. So helping your students see, or your your students see that you know at 22, I was I I was doing this and this is what my life looked. But you know, putting some of the financial aspects around this as well, um, letting them see that I think is also really powerful to let them know that you're they're not expected to be. Again, false expectations we put on students—they're not expected to be making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, where they're traveling all around the world. Um, whatever your lifestyle may look like, um, it can be giving them more expectations of what that journey looks like, and letting them know that it is a journey. It is not a—you know—it's not a final destination.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That that story piece um, is something that you know, when we think of finances and story, we usually think of success story or my story of how I lost everything and it's terrible. And um, I think, you know, the way we've been talking about it and what you've been sharing, it's good for us to frame our story in the same heart that we want to frame our overall approach to finances. It's learning how to have conversations and experiences. And we rightly want to highlight that the dollar signs uh, and the amount on your paycheck does not reflect the quality of life that you have. Those yeah. go into your choices and expectations, right? And um, you, know, you can have a 1,200 square foot house and have a great life because of what you're doing with your money, how you're spending your time, how you're investing, not just in the market, but in people um, and um, how you help people make decisions and have wisdom and discernment about finances from a practical standpoint really helps in a lot of areas of life. Um, And I feel like that really helps a very um, fearful, how do we talk about this at church without making people feel bad or that we're desperate or guilting them when we want them to tithe, right? A lot of finances in that area of life really ties to other points in life. And so it's good for us to Mm -hmm. say, You know, what are things that I want out of life? How do I want to invest in other people and help them? And I can do that in a great way. And if you have more zeros on the end of your paycheck, then that changes how you can do things, but you can still make a great impact in the lives of other people. You can still enjoy your life and be secure and know that there's going to be ups and downs, but that that's not going to dictate the overall quality and value of your life, right? The yeah. the value of your net worth is not the value of your life, especially as believers, right? We don't have a price tag. We are worth the life and death of Jesus Christ. But for us, to, in a practical way, for us to be good stewards and to help people get, be good stewards, and in our case, help teenagers learn how to do that with their parents, I feel like There are so many benefits that we can't think of and that when clients come in to see you, they're like, oh, I didn't think of that. Oh, Mm -hmm. I didn't think how that could help my student or my neighbor or whatever else with that issue. So I I love that eyes wide open approach to it.
0: Yeah. And how we do that in my office is we really have a values conversation. So I like give my clients a list of values and regardless of their income level. And they say like, what are your values in life? Like not even thinking about finances and everybody's are different. And I, and I love. There's, there's no bad values. Right. Um, and I think, you know, in this setting, it, it's, it's, we're all made unique. Like that's what makes us so great. Uh, one of the things we always say is every budget tells a story, right? What's your story? Um, because they should look different because we're created differently. Right. Um, like my budget should look different than yours. Like it, because we have different values. We have different places where we put emphasis. And so when clients come into my office, we do a values exercise with them. And then we look at how they spend their money. How does this align with your values? Where do you want to spend more money? You know, we really frame this out positively. Um, what does this look like? And it's not any value you can spend nothing on, um, and and be enhancing that value to spending lots and lots of money and everything in between. Um, but the happiest people, the people who really know how to live wealthy, and I will tell you, it is not about the dollar signs in their bank. It, it is absolutely not about that. There is always somebody with more money. There is always somebody with something better. Um, but the real, the real trick of it is: how do you know when is enough for your finances? And often that is through what you're saying, and it's, it's these values and and coming up to this point of contentment. Um, and if people can figure out what that is, that that's that is where there is so much peace. There is so much joy in your finances. Um, that is that is a difference maker for people.
1: Yeah, I love it. I love it. Well, Hannah, I'm so thrilled that you could join me today. Uh, Can you tell us where people can connect with you online and read or listen to your ongoing contribution in establishing healthy finances?
0: Yes, so I have a couple different places to, you can find me. Um, the first one is Everyday Money. Uh, everyday Money is the brand that we call it. So you go to LiveWealthyNow.com. You can find me there and fo- follow me on the social channels. Um, and then my private practice is Guiding Wealth. So GuidingWealth.com. And then I'm on all the social channels on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, all the things um, there as well. So so we you can definitely find me if you if you look.
1: Very good. Very good. Uh, Well, thanks again, and uh, I'll be praying for you as you use your skills and experience to help uh, not only guide parents and adults in good financial service planning, but also guiding our students in how to be good stewards. Thanks again, Hannah.
0: Yes, thank you, Jeff. I appreciate the work you're doing.
1: That concludes today's episode. Thanks again to Hannah for joining me. You can find the links to her website and other resources of hers in the show notes. If you haven't already, please like and subscribe to this podcast wherever you are listening to it, and be sure to follow us on our social media accounts on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find those social media handles and more at our website, youthministrymaverick.com. There you will also find some guest bios, a comprehensive list of all of our episodes and show notes, some ministry partners to help you in your own ministry an online store to support the podcast, published articles by me, and more. So be sure to visit our website for those things. Also, we really love when people give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Apple is the biggest podcast streamer, and it really helps boost our visibility when people give us a good review. So if you go there and give us a review, not just a rating, but a review, take a screenshot of it before you hit submit, and send it to me. And as a thank you, I will send you a card with some merchandise that you can't buy on our online store. So be sure to do that. Well, that's all for now. So until next time, thanks again for listening. Adios.